Hey guys, this is just a quick disclaimer. This episode is going to be in sort of two parts. The first part was recorded with a little bit of technical difficulty, and the second part was recorded really well, so... Here comes part one. Enjoy the fuzziness. Hey. Hey. What'd you think? About what? Did, did you get my text? Oh. Welcome back to yet another episode of Did You Get My Text on Pat Oswalt? I'm Meredith Salinger. Welcome, guys. Uh, wow, we've been uh, we have been weirdly busy during these uh, this past <laughs> week and a half. Out of nowhere, it's nothing, 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 and then running around. We have been running around like like it's been so fun. I have to say, <laughs> yes, we've been running around, but it's so fun. I haven't been anywhere in so long yeah. <laughs> and like we went to New York right. and it was just so great to just walk the streets <laughs> and just go on the subway and just be around millions of people and yeah. I I was very careful and you know when I was inside I definitely had my mask on but it was great to be outside and and people watch and see things and I There's cannot a lot to wait. Do in New York. I cannot wait for the new COVID variant that's named after Meredith to pop up in a couple of weeks. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> super strong uh, and hearty and uh, unkillable by every uh, antibiotic that we have on the market. <laughs> no, so, don't say that. Uh, we're very, very excited for that. Um, but and so until our lives shut down again, why not we tell you about our wonderful time out in the sun? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the reason we were in New York was for the premiere of the new Stars show called Gaslit, starring Sean Penn and Julia Roberts. But you're also in it, and it's about the uh, Watergate scandal and Martha Mitchell and her role in it. And you play? Uh, I play Charles Chuck Colson, who is was uh, Nixon's chief of staff, uh, very famously um, had a, a plaque on his desk that said, when you've got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. Uh, that's quoted in All the President's Men. Uh, he then, of course, was the first of uh, Nixon's men to go to prison, had a uh, c- conversion to Christianity while in prison. Very convenient. Uh, began was running... it real? Was it a real well, conversion to know. Christianity? Um, or was it, like, political? It was, uh, I, who knows? And then, of course, he wrote a memoir uh, about finding God and getting a second chance, which they then made into a movie. Starting they did? Deep. They made it into a movie. We talked about it in a much earlier podcast because it's such a weird um uh it's a it's a movie it was a christian-based film based on his memoir uh starring dean jones who had converted to christianity um and dropped out of um stephen sondheim's company uh because he didn't feel like he could do it um and and the conversion to christianity uh cured his depression uh he married Harlan Ellison's ex-wife, who had also oh my gosh. Uh, become born again. And in the movie, which I think is called Second Chance, or what I, it's some horrible Christian movie from the 70s or 80s, that movie features the screen debut of a very young Corey Feldman, who plays a boy on a dock. So there's a lot of weird connections, um, uh, all coming full circle with me playing Chuck Colson. Well, my favorite uh, line 
in the trailer for the show that you've got is you say, are there microphones in here? (laughs) Which is just the funniest thing in the world, considering what's going on in the world. Like Nixon lost how many minutes? 17 minutes of his tape. It was famously uh, when, when he released the tapes, there was a 17 and a half minute gap which everybody right. was wondering what was on the set. Now, I, and again, I should have researched this. I, I think they found what was missing in the years since, and it's just a lot of, uh, it, w- w- it was a lot of just cursing and stuff. A lot of cursing and a lot of racism. I don't think it was anything particularly illegal. It Sinister. Was just made him look even worse than he was. Well, yeah, it's the same thing happening right now. Trump has seven minutes of tape missing. Yeah. But the funniest thing is like, are there microphones in here? <laughs> so well, the, I mean, I think so what's perfect. funny about that line is they were totally cool with tapping uh, Democratic headquarters uh, investigating Democratic private lives. But then he realized, they realized that their boss was also taping them and um, it was all coming back on them, basically. The, the, the monster that they had created, um, who part, part of which is exemplified brilliantly by Shea Wiggum as uh, G. Gordon Liddy, um, he was their one of their go-to criminal guys. They hired a an absolute uh, psychotic true believer in uh, right-wing American supremacy, uh, who just went completely out of control and uh, was is amazing. and And the first episode opens with Shea Wiggum doing a monologue while he holds his hand. A lot of people know that G. Gordon Liddy famously would hold his hand over a candle until his flesh was burned to show people oh. that he was recruiting how serious he was and how if we get caught, I clearly won't talk. Look at me. Look at my willpower. Right, um, right. And he didn't. He's the only one in the Watergate scandal that never uh, that never snitched on anyone. Well, he went to jail and then later came out and became a massive right-wing hero and after the Reagan Revolution became a huge AM talk radio guy. Um, and, you know, again, the, the way the country went, he w- w- ended up being looked at as some kind of outlaw hero, whereas he was actually a criminal douchebag. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly gave us a fun reason to go to New York. And sadly, you're still recovering from your broken foot. So Ugh. you were sort of relegated to chilling in New York while I got a gallivant around. Yeah, I was told to stay off my foot. So I made the best of it. And got work done writing. in the room, got writing done that I had to get done, which was a rare for me. Usually when I'm in New York, I, I do want to wander around, but this one I buckled down. You, however, Meredith, decided to do a nonstop opening credit sequence to her uh, unaired pilot where you're just spinning around New York and having adventures. Oh. <laughs> what didn't you do? I did everything. I did everything well, okay, I did most things I really want love to do in New York. First of all, number one on my list. Some people might think it's disgusting, but I think it is representative of New York itself. I had a street hot dog. I love them. Okay. I think they're great. And, and and by the way, but I'm just going to stop really quickly. This is Meredith Salinger, who, if you listen to earlier episodes, you know she is the most germ-phobic. Please wipe this thing off. Please, I don't want to touch this. I've brought tissues to open these handles with. And then she will... Go and buy a thing that even when it's at its peak cleanliness, it is all lips and intestines and ligaments ground up, put into a plastic tube. Um, But these are sitting in water for days. God knows who's touching it, where it's come from. She runs down to the street like a freaking cave woman. Give me one of those things. She puts 
ketchup and mustard on it, which that yes. alone, no. What? What, no. what do you put on it? Just yellow Just mustard. mustard. Who puts ketchup on a hot dog? I don't know. Should I never do that again? It's, I, I don't oh know. Oh, God, no. Just mustard. Anyway, I, th- I like it the way it is. I like the way I like it. I like it how I like it. All right. Well, the, I, anyway, you know, I, I shouldn't judge it. you. All right. But okay. she, anyway, like, that was ran fun, and down I was... to the street to do that. Yeah, and I was served by this, the woman who had the cart was this beautiful, older Ukrainian woman. Oh. And I was so excited. I took a picture with her because I just was like, you're beautiful and you're from Ukraine and I'm supporting your country. And I, then, think, um, I think I, that hot dog turned the tide of the war, by the way. That money went right into Zelensky's pocket and that is going to turn the tide right there. Mer- it'll be <laughs> the Battle of Meredith to- Hot Dog. I also went to this amazing Ukrainian restaurant called Veselka, mm. um, which is like a like a Ukrainian deli. So oh. we they have like um, it's a, like a beef stew kind of a thing, mm-hmm. but it has like a name, oh. a very popular name. Do you remember that the name? I should know? And I sound like an idiot right now for not remembering. <laughs> but anyway, it was great. We oh we had like this borscht thing, and we anyway I ate all the Ukrainian food and I took a picture with this beautiful drawing of. I like taking pictures of my day. I like to remember these things. Did you buy, did you get yourself some holodex? Uh, what? Holodex is a Ukrainian uh, national dish where they take its beef jelly and they put it in a jello mold and put various vegetables, beef, things like that in it. And there is no way to know how it will turn out in the end because you don't know how it will gel. So it's always a surprise the way that it comes out. It's called holodex. Oh, that sounds revolting. Yeah, but it's one of their big dishes. Yeah, but you know what I loved about the restaurant? You know, COVID is still rampant, even though a lot of people are like, screw that. We can be on an enclosed right, plane right. with no masks. Mm-hmm. Um, the CD still, of course, still recommends that you wear a mask on public yeah. transportation, just mm-hmm. FYI. Um, but one of the things that New York and a lot of places are doing, they're building these beautifully decorated sidewalk sheds for outdoor dining. Mm-hmm. And every different restaurant has like decorated theirs differently first of all i want to put a pin in that and i want you to talk about when we were in uh at pixar and talk about their offices oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um but each restaurant has decor like there's a restaurant called tea and sympathy which is a tea restaurant and they have their little shed out there with like little curtains and roses and you know it's just so sweet but they're all like themed that's out in the east village right tea and sympathy that's in the west village like it is there, packing area. You think it's this nice little tea. I've eaten there, and what's surprising is how rich the food is, the sandwiches, the tea. It is actually, you think, oh, we'll go have a light midday snack. It's actually really heavy. That's well, the, baby tea is heavy. Stuff. They get scones oh, with, God. you know, the creme, yeah. the clotted cream out, and man. strawberries. And- yeah. Little sa- tea sandwiches, my favorite thing. Little bit of tea sandwiches. Love. I like little tiny food is what I like. Yeah, you know, you go down there, get some uh, tea sandwiches, bring them in that little uh, multi-level tier thing. you got uh, sweets on the top, you got savory in the bottom. you got and the scones. Right in the middle. you got the s- yeah, in the middle, right. you got some fruit, you got some scones, a little bit of mix. It's a segue, you know, it's a flavor segue. So you get up, you go, you get a street dog, you go eat Ukrainian food, and what else? I went to this place that even my friend who is from Manhattan Mm -hmm. uh, has never been to. It's a new place. It's called The Little Island. Mm. Um, In 2013, Barry Diller, in partnership with Hudson River Park Trust Leadership, embarked Mm -hmm. on this opportunity to envision a solution for the repair and reactivation of Pier 54 
that was damaged by Hurricane Sandy. And they turned it into this public space in New York. Mm -hmm. It's like this amazing immersive experience with nature and art. There's little things you can play on. There's like the little dance chimes that you can dance on. Mm -hmm. And there's beautiful gardens. There's an amphitheater. It's right on the water. It's so incredible. It's kind and of inspired by the whole Highline thing. Here's a discontinued exactly. chunk of track. Wait a minute, we could do something cool with this. They did something so cool, and yeah. I went with my friend, and she's like, oh, I've been by this. Like, who would go? Like, why would anyone go? And then she's like, oh, my God, this is my new favorite place. Oh. Anyway, it's beautiful and fun and amazing and gorgeous, and mm. um, I loved it. That's so nice. And, uh, yeah. What else? Other things. What else is super New York-y? I visited uh, 30 Rock. I visited uh, the Jimmy Fallon show, which I like mm -hmm. to visit when I come because my yeah. friend Questlove is over there, and mm -hmm. he had just gotten back from two weeks after his Oscar win, and oh. we were chatting about the craziness of that day. His Oscar win was all anyone was talking about the day after the Oscars. I remember that. That was the only topic of conversation. Well, it was interesting was because we did talk Oscar about the fact win. that a lot of people were saying, um, you know, how the slap kind of took away from all the wonderful things that happened. But it was almost like talking about the slap taking away from the wonderful things that happened focus on, focused on the wonderful things that actually happened. Yeah. And so, in fact, people were more excited, I felt, about uh, the win for Summer of Soul, his well, directorial that's what I've always said is the value of the Oscars is not only the stuff that they get right, but the stuff that they get wrong, the movies that they've given Oscars too that should, I'm sorry, they should not have won, then puts more attention on what doesn't get nominated or doesn't win because then those movies become classics in spite of not getting uh, right. the shiny gold award. It just award. gives people you know, it, an it, opportunity it, it, to focus, discussion. to find the good, yeah, to find I mean, the good one things. Of the, I mean, beyond it being one of the best films ever made, the documentary Hoop Dreams is also uh, astounding. What adds to its astoundingness is that it not only was it not nominated, it should have been nominated for Best Picture, period. It was a documentary. Wasn't even nominated for Best Documentary because um, people, the documentary people were watching it and like, it's kids playing basketball and they they just didn't, they, no one finished watching it and it's one of the best films ever made. Beyond, not documentary, films. It's one of the best films ever made. And so that adds to its mystique or the fact that like Goodfellas Lost to uh, Dance with, with Wolves, or you know, like stuff like that, just makes you adds more craziness to yeah. uh, the film. But I do have to say, um, what was one of my favorite parts about your premiere in New York for Gaslit was where it was, which was the Metropolitan Museum Love of Art. The Met. <laughs> and we were in the like Egyptian tomb exhibit. With mummies, and they—that's where the—that's the, where the red carpet was. That's where the party was well, afterwards. What was weird was it wasn't right when you go into the Met. We had to walk a long way oh, to get true. to the we red carpet, and we're walking yes, by the tombs of kings. Look yes. upon me in despair. You know, it was it was <laughs> uh, it was Shelley's. I, I hope it's Shelley that did this, or maybe it was Byron. But it's the Ozymandias poem of the two legs in the desert and all your works. Um, will be forgotten in time. And it was just like, it was this, you dwell on uh, your own mortality for seven minutes and then you got to hop in front of the ET cameras and, you know, act <laughs> like you matter. It was, mwah. it was such it a was great fabulous. mind experiment. Yeah, it was hilarious. It really was. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the exciting um, 
things that happened at the after party was I finally met someone you would think I would have known my whole life from the 80s. Uh, Especially based on your circle of friends growing up and you never met him. None other, none other than the karate kid himself, Ralph Macchio. I got to meet him. And that was very exciting because, you know, I think I know everyone from that era. Right. <laughs> I've worked with everybody, but I yeah. never met him. And I also, yes, met Sean Penn, who is from the neighborhood I am from in Malibu. Yeah. But uh, he's older than me, so I don't, I don't think I ever met him growing up. Huh. Yeah, it was, it was really cool seeing... Um, I'd met Sean a bunch of times... It's always wild, um, you know, because the few times I've seen him, I've, 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 I've met him up in San Francisco, then we hung out in Iceland together, and then I was on set with him where he's under 900 pounds of makeup, and um, it was just, you know, he, he, is this, he is this chameleon where it almost seems like he has the ability to change the shape of his skull and face uh, depending on well, the role that he's the doing, which is incredible. Of- the hair and makeup on Gaslit is incredible. Yeah. Um, because I've never, because there's nothing worse than being put in a fat suit um, or looking fatter and have it look so fake. And you're just like, oh, yeah. this is terrible. He looks incredible. And yeah. th- if there's an Emmy for makeup, my Lord, this lady should, or whoever did it should get yeah. it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, but anyway, let's take a break and we'll come right back. There's so much more to talk about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, welcome back. So hey. we're mid talking about the amazing uh, Gaslit premiere and hanging out with some fun people afterwards. Yeah. One of which was Sean Penn. Sean Penn, and Ralph you, Macchio. You're gonna, well, I yeah. was in. I was shooting a movie in Iceland, and one night, uh, Sean Penn and Ben Stiller, and Ben Stiller's producer, the late great Stuart Kornfeld, went out to dinner at some remote shack. I think we were eating elk meat and drinking wine or something, but. Ben and Sean were doing this. It was really fun to see this kind of passive-aggressive jousting about which one of them hooked up with more girls at the limelight back in the 80s in New York uh, when they were young actors. And it, it was very good-natured. And then it was so funny because when the, when the when the battle reached its high pitch, then Stuart, the producer, kind of went, guys... Bruce Willis was the bartender at the Limelight, and he hooked up with ten times more women than both of you combined. So just <laughs> calm down. It was just this great, like bringing everyone down, and they all they both started laughing their heads off. It was so cool. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty great. I mean, like again, Sean Penn, for however you you think of him personally, is a genuine like like talk about absolutely losing himself in a role like in in terms of craft. I've just never seen a guy. I've well, I've seen a few there, but there's there's like a few he actors that, that completely not just, but it's it'd be one thing to morph, but they just seem to whipsaw back and forth so quickly. Like, how do you do that 
from movie to movie. Like in, in my mind, I would do, yo. But I would think like, oh, I would need a couple of months to decompress. Like they just seem to go. I just finished this thing, and now I'm going to zip over to the. Joaquin Phoenix is another one that just seems to like he'll finish a movie, and he's completely neck deep in a role, and then the next Monday he's like, and now I'm this person, and it's complete, and that person that I That's was like for three dream. months is gone. Like what? I love it. Yeah, oh, it's I love amazing. that. It, it, it just always amazing. blows me away. But the other great thing about Sean, who, FYI, his brother sang at our wedding, Michael Penn, who we had yes, on as a did, guest who last, was just on, last yeah. couple weeks, um, is that he's very politically active and um, was... Uh, emphasis <laughs> on active. He actually goes and does it. He's well, that's not, what I was going to say. He's not he's tweeting actually, things. He goes to places. Yeah, he was just in Ukraine with Zelensky. And... Um, I don't know if he flew home to do the premiere or why he was back in uh, New York because he was then like two days before in Ukraine. But as his date, he didn't bring like, well, I don't know. He brought Michael Fanone, who was one of the um, uh, Capitol police officers during the January 6th insurrection, who was um, hurt and injured and traumatized and basically shit upon by the Trump administration because he made fun of and or was horrible to the Capitol Police that day because right. they were trying to help and him. Also, he didn't want he, that. He was crapped on by the Trump administration for the mere act of, um, uh, without trying to do it, just highlighting that I'm trying to stop an insurrection here. I'm actually exactly. doing the, the, the party of law and order is now mocking yes. a guy who was beaten. One of the weapons he was beaten with was an American flag, not to get into symbolism, but... One of these MAGA yeah. thugs picked up an American flag and beat him over the head with it. I mean, and it just, you know, he suffered it, major uh, post-traumatic stress, and he's yes. trying for reform. And he's an amazing guy. I've been I've been on some political calls with him. Yeah, he's um, incredible. And he's just incredibly sensitive and lovely. And um, anyway, he was with Sean, and it was very nice to see him. Um, and he, yeah, he was also going to bring uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell to the thing, who we love so much, mm-hmm. a congressman from California who's very politically. Active and wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. So it was It was nice to have both those worlds kind of make yeah. the gravitas of the moment larger because, you know, the Watergate scandal was a big scandal and about democracy and fairness and why we shouldn't have corruption in office. And it seems to me that that's what we're currently fighting. And well, having it also, Michael Water- there was important. Yeah, Watergate was a hinge point in history where luckily the hinge swung the right way. And right now it's not clear which way the hinge is going to swing. And I think that's why everyone is still suffering a much, much lower, more existential version of the PTSD that someone, say, like Michael, who is directly having to deal with it and fight with it. And, you know, so that kind of, um, I don't know, there's just, it's, there's, there's, um, there are ominous reminders all around, and it's a little weird um, seeing that. And then, as a tonic, uh, there was Ralph Macchio, who is <laughs> one of the nicest guys on the planet and is currently... Be about to begin the sixth season of one of the most surprisingly brilliant shows, um, Cobra, Cobra Kai. Kai. Who, which I thought, look, I, here's my here's my problems with Cobra Kai. Some of them are personal. My uh, my friend Brian Posehn and I are were obsessed with the Karate Kid. We were obsessed with that film, and to the point where we both tracked down ripped um, before it was released officially. We found a BitTorrent rip of the soundtrack of that film. All these songs that were like, well, we can't afford uh, Wang Chung, so let's get a sound alike. We can't afford this, let's get a sound alike. It's an amazing, hilarious soundtrack. And we wrote 
a treatment for a Karate Kid sequel 30 years down the road. But in our treatment, um, Johnny Lawrence is still stinging from uh, not you know, losing the All-Valley Championship to, to Daniel LaRusso, the Ralph Macho character, William Zabka. And, um, but so what we had him do in our script, he tracks Daniel down, and when he finds him, Daniel is one of those guys who's peaked in high school and is the <laughs> biggest loser you've ever seen. And William Zabka's like, no, 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 I need my revenge. So what he has to do first is build him up and make him this awesome guy again so that he can then crush him. So Wait, it becomes that's this fabulous. Weird... Let's make that one. Well, no, because they did it so, <laughs> A, this is before, um, like, TV shows were the better way to do things. This was back in the early aughts. Um, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg um, have made this brilliant show, Cobra Kai. It's all from uh, Johnny Lawrence's point of view, where basically it's... a and, it, and it's so... It could not be more timely. Nostalgia is a poison. And... Um, to quote the lead singer of Eve Six, he tweeted this. I love this tweet so much. He said, nostalgia is a poison, but it goes down like peach schnapps. Like, it tastes <laughs> so good, you don't realize it's destroying your life. And Zabka in this show is so brilliant at playing this guy is who great. is trapped in, in his mind. It's forever 1985. And um, Ralph Macchio is, is brilliant. Daniel LaRusso is not this perfectly good hero. Yes, He's a quote-unquote good guy. And as the series goes on, you realize, oh, he's actually also trapped in his peak moment. So they're both have it's, I, I cannot get over how brilliant this show is. Uh, you know, I also love the fact that it's kind of like a re-emergence of Billy Zabka again. Because for a long time, you know, we didn't, see, this, this is like, this is so perfect for him. Oh, yeah. Um, God, he's good. Because we didn't see him for a long time. And it, it makes me sort of think about the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. <laughs> which is going to be one of my recommendations at the end of the show, I guess, yeah. when we do that. But want to talk about that now or do you want to talk about that next set? Where, how you no, want to no, say no, let's talk it. about it now. Listen, um, William Zabka uh, is brilliant in Cobra Kai, but I don't want you, I don't want everyone thinking, oh, God, he vanished for a while and now he's back. Yeah, he No, he I know he's been doing tons of stuff. Well, he was, he played himself for a long time on How um, I Met Your Mother because Neil Patrick Harris's character is obsessed with uh, Johnny Lawrence. So they, he basically kind of became part of the cast. He also... Um, an Academy Award nominee for a brilliant short film called The Gift. Uh, what? That uh, yes, he is an Academy Award nominee uh, for directing. What and category? I short film. Best short film. But what about it? He was nominated. It was a short film for called directing the, it, for producing it. I think directing and producing. I'm not sure. Huh. He he was doing. I mean, he was doing a lot of directing. Um, so the, the, he's been very very busy. I mean, there's been there well, have been people who have genuinely vanished and then come back uh you know um um the guy oh god who played kelly leak in the bad news bears what was that guy's name oh, jackie oh, earl haley him. james Ar yeah jackie earl haley who at one point was delivering pizzas and delivered a pizza to an agent who had dropped him which wow. like that's, that's like whoa up. and then came roaring back with um um uh, all the King's Men and um, Little Children, and then of course Watchmen children, and everything. I think sort of, yeah, well, Little Children was his was his um, Oscar nomination. But even before that, he's in a movie with Sean Penn called uh, a remake of 
all the king's men and he is the movie's not great but he is astounding in it and it was like wow. oh yeah he's that this dude's back that's amazing yeah. um and same thing for ki Hugh kwan who was in and the star of everything everywhere all at once oh. which is such a good movie and he's so good in it and i was and we i talked with him um and he was telling me. By the that way, we were had... very, really quick. We were very uh, lucky to be invited to a screening where yes. um, Jamie Lee Curtis introduced it. Kiyu Kwan was there afterwards. We got to talk to him. Um, so yeah. go ahead. But it was we were anyway, very lucky to get to do that. Very lucky and very happy to see him. Um, you know, he was in Goonies and friends with all my friends back then. And mm -hmm. and he was and we were talking about that air that time in our lives. And he was saying that he hadn't worked on camera since Goonies. And he wow. so deserves an Oscar nod for this. Oh my God! The, yeah. His I mean... performance in this, and um, but yes, he still was in the film business. He was doing editing and all different yeah. kinds of things. He, he was a, um, he but... was an assistant director to Wong Kar Wai, who was one of the best living film directors. He was the assistant director, I think, second unit director on Twenty Forty Six, which in Everything Everywhere All at Once, there's a sequence that kind of is a nod, an homage to Twenty Forty Six. Um, uh, Wong Kar Wai makes these gorgeous, like Hollywood style romance films, but they deal with different dimensions and time travel. And there's a star named Tony Lung, who is one of those actors who you're like, what a friggin' movie star. And I remember uh, he was talking to us and he said, I remember lining that guy up in the camera thinking, now that is a movie star. And now in this movie, there's that whole section where he is decked out. He looks like Tony Lung with that great suit. It's amazing suit. to oh me. Oh, my God. His performance is, yes, in that moment, he looks like such a gorgeous kind of 1950s old-fashioned oh, movies. Just man. like a stunning, beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, very uh, confident and brave and cool and sexy. Yeah. And then he, and, you know, he's also very, like, there's different time periods in this thing, kind of goes through time. And he is like super nerdy and quiet and adorable. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's so 100% both those things that you're just shocked that he is the same person. And he yeah. absolutely deserves some sort of nomination for this because brilliant performance. I mean, he has to play, what he's playing is not versions out of time. What he and Michelle Yeoh and everyone else in the movie are well, playing. Well, I was just trying not to spoil anything. Well, I mean, without spoiling the plot, they're playing versions of themselves had they made different choices at crucial right. moments in their lives. So and, a multiverse situation. And they absolutely play them as if um, yeah. they were always this way because of a choice they made early on. And the transitions are fucking incredible. I mean, yeah, again, yes, the movie has all these... Someone was pointing this out on Twitter the other day. Yes, the movie has amazing special effects, amazing editing, amazing cinematography. But the best special effect is still... Acting. Hey guys, welcome back. Hopefully our audio sounds better now and that it is smooth sailing from here on out. We did do something super fun recently, which I thought we could talk about. Okay. Um, did you get my text about, I showed a picture of our recent costume party we went to, and then I put it together with the one we went to last year. Oh, it was, yeah, yeah. I sent you the text of the two of them together. Yeah. Um, we went to a birthday party, and it was 1970s themed tennis. 1970s yes. tennis theme. Yeah. So we had, everyone's dressed like Bjorn 
Borg and is that his name? Did I say it Bjorn right? Bjorn Borg, Jimmy Connors, that whole, that 70s tennis look and you know it when you see it. I gotta say, I love that look. I might oh. just sport that look all the time. Well, then go shopping at uh, American Apparel, because that's what Dove Charney loved, that uh, 70s <laughs> athletic look. So dress the way an old creep would like you to dress. Um, That's funny. Um, But everybody really went for it. And it was so much fun. And it wasn't just there was a t- there was a real tennis tournament, but they also made because for me <laughs> last year, I said, I don't know if I want to play tennis. I think maybe uh, 70s is like big on backgammon. Why don't I bring my backgammon board? So we had some people doing backgammon, some people doing tennis. And then this year they made an actual uh, backgammon tournament official. And you you texted me. Well, I guess they had texted you what the trophy would look like, or they oh, texted. Yeah, they, they went to some little. They, it's this adorable little trophy that you would give to a little leaguer, uh, but it doesn't matter because once Meredith saw this thing, once she knew that it existed, once I once saw the text, she, that was it. I went. You showed me the text, and I was like, "Oh, there's a trophy!" <laughs> so I was my put my game face on to yeah. win that trophy, come hell or high water. And did you um, win it, Meredith? What? Did you win it? I sure as heck did. Boom. And I was so proud of it. <laughs> I am so proud of it. Um, now, was it a scrappy struggle? Did you gammon anybody? Was it like a, a Queen's Gambit kind of thing where you were just wiping people out? Or was it a battle royale, like every, you had to fight for every inch of turf? At the beginning, I lost the first game. And there was mm-hmm. a girl that I was playing. And she's like, um, I could play backgammon for days. I was like, me too. And she beat me the first one, and then I beat her the next two, mm-hmm. and then I continued to beat her. There you go. Maybe she won another one. Um, but there were other people, too, and I, I flattened them. Did you have seeds? <laughs> you, there you go. Bulldozered <laughs> all the way to that trophy. It was really fun. Oh, that's um, so sweet. But I love a costume party. And you, Patton, always go out. Whenever there's a, a costume thing... You always do the full, like, I'm going for it. There are some people who don't. Some people are like, I'm just going to show up in regular clothes. There are some people who are like, over the top, like, way over the top do it. And then I think you you really get into it. It depends. I mean, I remember, you know, Halloween is always a big deal for me. And I remember, although I think that this year it's not going to happen, only because... Alice is now 13, and she and now she wants to do costumes with her friends. But when she was little, you, you know, she wanted to do costumes with her parents. So she was like, you guys got to do One year she was the, if I'm not mistaken, she was the Riddler, and we were her goons. Uh, That's one right. year uh, I had Adam from uh, Mythbusters make me a, make me a uh, uh, Dr. Octopus costume. Because and she you wanted had those to be Spider Girl. Huge arms coming Crazy out, like major, the metal, the whole um, thing. And then, uh, yeah, and then I was also, she wanted to be Raven one year, so I was Raven's dad, who's this demon. <laughs> there's a picture of that. So there's all these, like, it depends on the party, but yeah, I do want to at least try. We, we went to some gallo, and it was like under the sea themed, so I got like a steampunk submarine captain's outfit and then half an hour into the party I realized how heavy and unbreathable it was and like I looked like an admiral but it was like I want to lose half this costume I just want to leave on the floor I I cannot I'm sweating bullets in this thing 
Well, this year, that gala that you went to before Dress That Way is coming up. I think it's next weekend. Oh. And the theme this year What's the theme? is it's fairy tale storytelling. So they say dress well, up as any fairy tale. Well, there we go. Yep. So I... I have an affinity for Snow White. <laughs> I have a official Snow White costume. I feel like I look like the real Snow White. Right. Um, but I've always wanted to be poor, dirty Cinderella. I, yeah. I just, that's my wheelhouse. So right. I have this dirty Cinderella, you know, the poor Cinderella costume. And I love that too. But then I recently got this ridiculous dress that I don't think I can wear anywhere else except to a fairy tale party because it's like floofy, floofy pink with strawberries all over it. And it's so, it's such a fairy princess dress. But what, so I think but are you that. a specific character though? No. <laughs> well, don't, you but know, it looks you like just, a story. Unless you can add like a, a fairy tale, unless you can add a wand or wings to it, I would go yeah. with the, I would go with Sooty Cinderella or Snow White if I were you. That's I've just done, my, my take. I've been Cinder- Snow White so many times. Okay, and then I do feel like- Sooty Cinderella. <laughs> Sooty Cinderella. Yeah, I just also put think- some soot on your face. Get a couple little stuffed mice, have them peeking out of your pockets because all the little animals were helping her do stuff. Do that. Well, we'll see what happens on the day of, and I'll post a picture of what I end up wearing. Okay. But I. But the bottom line is, I'm down for a costume party. I just would like to say that I'm so happy that on that night I am taping my new Netflix special in Denver and I do not have to go dressed as Gus Gus in a shirt and no pants because I know that that's what you want with along with yourself is Gus yeah. Gus the mouse I with wanted... dirty Cinderella. That's my dream, baby. That is my dream. Oh. Um, so this weekend, uh, Meredith is going off to an, a girly trip up to Northern California or somewhere. Um, probably just going to go see Thunder Down Under in Vegas. I don't even care. <laughs> I don't think so. And then um, I am take our, our daughter uh, is has a camping trip with her friend. So we are all going uh, camping. And what? Um, yes, it was a family camping trip. It was a bunch I of know, friends from yeah. school and and the parents, obviously. And unfortunately, the date for this thing didn't come up until I had already planned my trip. Yes. And you and then we said yes. Uh, you said that you were going to go on the camping trip with Alice without me because I already mm-hmm. planned my thing. And then you got a show that you had to film somehow. Right. Um, but regardless, the, the, the we're going to get there. The listeners don't care about any of this. So um, Sorry. The, um, what's cool about the, the, the camping trip, though, is it is this weird time warp thing for the weekend. She and all her friends are up there. A lot of the parents are up there. There's little cabins. There's little yurts. And... Um, they can, for the weekend, they get a couple of days of growing up the way that we grew up in the 70s. In that, they because the whole campsite is it's massive, but it's enclosed. So when they get up in the morning, I just say, Well, here's some money. There's a canteen in the middle of the campground. You can go get yourself some breakfast, or I'll make breakfast if you want. Try to come back at lunch, try to come back at dinner. I'll see you later. And, and that that was the kind of childhood that we had, which is your parents. Your parents were being good parents by making you go out of the house and be out of their sight and become independent and self-reliant. So that it's really cool for, for you know, 2020 kids to get to be 1970s kids for a weekend. There's nothing better than putting kids in a campground, taking away their 
any electronics they have and just saying, go ride your bike, go play and have adventures and yeah. come back when you feel like it. Although last time we went, she was young. She was like nine. And mm-hmm. oh, that wasn't that wasn't the last time we went. But when we went, when she was nine, she was running around all day from like six in the morning till. Oh, my God. Eight, nine at night. And we had to beg her to take it. I was like, just come here and take a bite of this sandwich. Because yeah. they were all the kids were so crazy. They wouldn't even they were too excited to even eat. Yeah, it was it was massive FOMO going on. And um, the day that we left, we basically it was like doing a scavenger hunt because she left all of her Alice. stuff everywhere <laughs> except her cabin. But but at the same time, I didn't even care. I just loved that she had a couple of days of that experience of, you know where I am. You can come find me, but you know, just go. I don't care where you go. You can go do whatever you want. So I actually need your advice on this, Patton, because oh. um, my sister has, uh, well, I have nieces and mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of them are going away and I get one of them for the weekend. And my mm-hmm. sister was like, think of fun things to do without the phone. Like, so she doesn't, you know, spend time on the phone at sure, all. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, do you want me to take her camping? Do you want me to take her to the beach all day? And I'm trying to think of things to do where I can keep her away from the phone. Um, like go for a hike and do all these fun things. I, I kind of just want to say I lost it. <laughs> so that I don't have to try so hard. <laughs> Because I'm going to have to do all these things, too. Right. Um, boy, I don't know. I mean, you know, the the especially, you know, the kids when they're at that certain age, they just want to hang out with you. It, it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's that you're together. Um, not that you should be sitting there, you know, look, scrolling with your phones together, but they just want time with you. So time just wandering around the house or, you know, shooting Nerf guns at each other in the backyard. That's just as much quality time as if you went, okay, first we're going to go to the museum. No. Then we're going to go to the, you know, like that kind of thing. No, but if we're home, she has mm-hmm. access to her iPad and stuff like that. And it's like, I want to check my text. I want to do this. I want to, you know, the, it's right there. I feel like I need to, like, go somewhere where it's, like, disappeared. Or just say, oh, the our Wi-Fi went out this week and the guy can't come till Monday. <laughs> That's not gonna, yeah, no. I mean, what's great about camping is they can bring their electronics if they want to. They're not going to work. There's no signal there. So even and they if they also bring don't their electronics, use them when they're exactly, having that yeah, because everyone's running around like a loon. Um, I mean, we we have a bunch of laser tag tickets uh, left over. They gave us free games. Take her, uh, you two, go hunting in the laser tag place. Anyway, I just want to like go to some <laughs> farm with animals where there's no Wi-Fi, so it's easy to like. Well, what's the get... one outside the city that people go to get their pumpkins at every year? And there's the there's the goats that walk around. It's this whole. It has a name. It's a family. The something family farms. I used to go there all the time with Alice. It's the best. I don't know. Okay, I'm just I'm just trying. Well, I don't to... know. You asked me for suggestions, and I'm just giving you suggestions. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's what's on my plate for uh, next weekend is to figure out a way to keep a teenager away from her phone. It's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. That is going to be amazing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, oh, what are you <laughs> I'm gonna just do? afraid she's going to be like, because I'm the cool aunt, right? She's going to be Auntie Mary, let's do a TikTok together. Why don't you go find a cool cool neighborhood to wander around in park your car and like (laughs) either on like Vermont or a part of Sunset where there's all these cool stores and just go walking up and down the street and get some food and look at stuff like find a find a place in L.A. that mimics walking around in New York and take her to do that. Yeah. 
oh, New York is so fun. If only we could be there more often. Well, there you go. Um, so, yeah, so that's the uh, I've got a, I have a camping trip coming up, although the camping trip for me basically just entails me getting getting her up in the morning, going here, brush your teeth, take these gummy vitamins. OK, I'll see you at lunch, I guess. Like, and You're like, you, you have take the opposite. these gummy vitamins. I'm going to take my gummy <laughs> vitamins. You have the opposite <laughs> in which. You are with you have to keep a kid away from electronics and she knows that electronics are available and you got to find a way to keep her away from it. It's really upsetting, though, because during coronavirus, I mean, this must have happened to everybody, all all of our audience. Um, everyone, you know, a lot of we put restrictions on screen time mm-hmm. and originally, which, which we don't enforce like we should. And she has found a million ways around. But, yes, we we try well, to I, put restrictions on. What I was going to say was that we had a certain set of rules for screen Mm -hmm. time, which was, you know, minimal amounts of screen time. It's not good for your brain. It's going to rot your brain. Mm -hmm. And then coronavirus hit and kids were stranded at home. And the only ways they could really communicate with each other were via FaceTime. And in that moment, you're like socialization is way more important right now for them than anything else for their mental health and all those things. Yeah. And so it was like, you can, that, that was their connection to the world and taking it back after all this time to be like, okay, you've had this time and now we're moving into getting back into the world again. You're seeing your friends at school. I want to pull back on the screen time you've got, but you know, it's really hard once you've, given someone something to remove it right and, um, it's and easier. especially when and it's pro- something and... go ahead no i was just going to say that a lot of the teachers too all the schools on uh a lot of online schooling so they have to submit their homework online mm-hmm. they have to read their notes online so they're not in their math books and they're not writing on notebook paper they're actually so it's constant screen time yeah that there... and it's hard <sighs> That's going to be interesting to see how that effect. We don't know what the effects are going to be yet, and I wonder how that's going to affect. I mean, hopefully there'll be a, a positive will come out of it. You know, think of all the hell that kids had to grow up with uh, in the the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and then a lot of the great art that came out of that. However, I'm, I'm also not an advocate of people suffering so that we maybe get like one good movie and a few good albums out of that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I'm talking about having those people were dealing in life. They saw people, they dealt with reality. They were doing things, but this is like all it's just screen time melting your brain. What I'm I'm saying is it'll be interesting to see how people's uh, artistic interpretation of not having access to life, how that affects them, because they're still they're going to find a way to try to push through and connect, even when yeah. the subject matter is about life being taken away from you. Right. Exactly. So that's going to be really interesting to see. I, you know, again, I wonder I, how long the effect, like how many years it takes to like see the damage and or the brilliance that comes from it. Yeah, that's the thing we don't know. It well, feels I don't, like the damage is occurring presently. Yeah, but I I think the long term are... damage, like especially the long term damage of stuff like Twitter and social media, um, that is going to be a generational thing. I think. Yeah, and then you know, then there's the whole we were talking about it earlier. What uh, you said, uh, Elon Musk had has purchased Twitter. And so, you know, it's a worry just because, you know, it's a platform for the world and you want to make sure that no one's inciting anyone to do anything bad or spreading misinformation that would lead people to do things that 
are not good for them. No one in history has done more damage than people who aren't funny, who desperately want to be funny, and who are willing to wipe out part of the world so that their jokes are the funniest ones, even if it means eliminating um, the people that are doing the funny stuff, uh, either silencing them or in the case, in certain cases in history, going so far as to just flat out kill them because you're just, you're in your core, you're jealous of that ease and that, um, uh, you know, he, he's clearly, for whatever good he's done in the world, if he could just, you know what he reminds me of? Here's what's amazing about him to me. There was a there, there was this guy, there was a show back in the day in L.A. that was booked by this wannabe comedian. I'm not going to name him because he, he, he isn't anybody anymore. And he really was amazing at putting together these incredible shows and promoting it. And he really built this show up to this a real thing. But he insisted on being on the show because he also wanted to be a comedian. He couldn't see that the thing that you're good at is bringing the talent together, promoting it, but you yourself don't have any talent there. And he eventually ended up having the show taken away from him and then almost losing the show. Almost like, when I mean losing the show, like the show almost stopped happening because he was willing to sabotage it because he was sick of, you know, David Cross and and Paul F. Tompkins and Sarah Silverman are going up on my show and then I go up and no one laughs. This is an insult. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and he would always give himself these plum spots like John Stewart would do a guest set and we would go, Oh God, he's gonna do it and he would give himself the spot right after John Stewart. And you're like, uh, Why you would that? you do that? I, I mean like I don't wanna do that. So, you know, <laughs> and and it, that's what it feels like to me, like, hey Elon, what yes, you've done some good in the world, I know and you're and you're the world's richest man and I know that that's supposed to mean something to to me um, it cer- certainly means something to a lot of people and that's great but he is demanding to also be funny and cool and he's willing to burn the world down in order to do it like, like that's it, it's kind of scary yeah and also um, he's not creating Twitter Twitter is what it is it's created exactly. it's not like he's taking 44 billion dollars and trying to create this um, platform. He's taking what someone else did and it just exists. What We didn't need... It, he, why does he need ownership of this thing? Why couldn't he have used those $44 billion for a multitude of other things? This thing already exists. Yeah. It's only... It's solely for t- to be your toy. Because he wants to, to be, be cool. Your, well, and also all the all the power that having a microphone to the whole world, yeah. a megaphone to the world will provide for him. But he already has that. He has 82 million followers on Twitter. So what yeah, does owning it to... give, get him? He, you, Dude, you won. And you've got, you, yeah. he has the creepiest fanboys that if anyone even says anything against him, they just swarm people. So you've got your army of sycophants. What, what more? Well, he wants the cool people to like him. I also think and they that don't. there's... There's more, um, perhaps sinister well, dealings just to allow, for free speech and to allow people who might have been kicked off Twitter to be back on Twitter. Yeah, and you know it's just it's just well, there are sinister people that are taking advantage of this. But I'm talking about the core of this is a rich guy who can't believe that when he tells people how much money he has, they don't think he's the coolest person on the planet. That they'll go look at some rock star or comedian or writer who doesn't make as much as him and think that that person's cooler to him that's like an insult 
Like, but I had, you have to think I'm the coolest. I have the most money. You're supposed to think that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It it's, is. It's, it just was really pointless to, uh, except for nefarious reasons, it feels like, to purchase yeah. Twitter for $44 billion when yeah. that money could have been used in such incredible, helpful ways to the world. And Twitter would still exist and it can still be used. And it's just so stupid. It's just like, yeah, ne nefarious people are taking advantage of a lonely boy who just wanted friends. And, oh, that's, what a and that's how the world's going to oh, end. Hey, oh, if we were if we were an AM station, we would throw to that song right now. But as, that, as it is, let's do some picks and go home. Daddy's tired. I gotta go to sleep. Now it's time for Did You Get Our Picks? Tell you what we like, what we really, really like. Yeah, tell me what you like, what you really, really like. <laughs> My picks this week, comics. Well, two friends of mine, Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn, uh, for 420, Wednesday, April 20th, they put out a new comic by Image on Image Comics called Secret History of the War on Weed. And it is a brilliant... Um, what if satire on um, historical conspiracy theories about why weed and marijuana has been uh, uh, criminalized and they turn it into an insane Michael Bay action movie, even though it's based in fact and paranoia. It is a violent, very offensive, very fun read and a wonderful tribute uh, to 420. So go get it. Secret History of the War on Weed books. Uh, well, uh, the woman who suggested I read Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, which is one of my favorite books in the last five years, just recommended a new book to me called The Anomaly by Hervé Letelier. I've read the first two chapters. It's incredible. And uh, I hope she keeps suggesting books, but The Anomaly, it is a French novel. It has been translated into your disgusting pig human English, and uh, you can you can download it or pick it up. Uh, I don't want to spoil the plot. I, I, I want you to let this unfold the way that Station Eleven unfolded. It's a really, really fun read. Um, I know what you're going to say for movies. I think I know what you're going to say for movies. I actually didn't have a movie pick. I have a movie. Oh, go ahead. Um, I well, I said it in it, during our podcast, but um, it's everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, we got and to go see the screen. It's just brilliant, and uh, we talked about it already. We did, yeah. In the very poor sound quality version <laughs> section of this podcast, but yeah. that's a great one, and you really should see it. And hopefully, you guys can see it on a big screen because it's IMAX. really incredible. If you could see it in IMAX, oh my goodness. Please yeah. try to go see it in IMAX. Um, Get that opportunity. I do. I can't imagine I'm going to see a better movie this year, but we'll see. I don't know. It's it. it well, I mean, we that also was... we also saw a really odd movie. It was it the unbearable weight of massive talent. The unbearable weight of massive talent, which is um, with Nicolas Cage. Nick Cage and, basically um, playing Nick Cage, and it's one of those very meta comments on itself. And the guy who plays the Mandalorian, who's amazing and oh, fantastic. Pedro Pascal. Isn't it? Oh Pedro my Pesto. God, he's fabulous. Uh, and Sharon Horgan from uh, Catastrophe, who is a brilliant actress. Um, it, it, it's that was fun. good. It's not great. The only reason it's, it's, it's not, not great, but it's fun to watch. Is I, there's a lot of these meta movies, some that are great, like um, uh, being John Malkovich or Adaptation. Some that are just okay, like They Call Me Bruce, where Bruce Campbell basically plays himself. And you know, and there's also one called 
J actually there's a brilliant one called J JCVD and it is a bank heist happens and standing in line at the bank to cash a check is Jean-Claude Van Damme but playing himself oh, and he gets amazing. pulled into this bank heist that is actually a genuinely brilliant movie JCVD that sounds but awesome. um but this movie has this movie has too many good things in it to to say don't go see it it's pretty great yeah agreed yeah do you have a TV one? Well, this is kind of a plug, but I don't care because I'm really, really happy uh, that I'm in it. Uh, it's currently on Stars, the show Gaslit is running. It is a fantastic uh, other angle on the whole Watergate scandal, uh, how sloppy and embarrassing it was. And it's a yes. I think we actually talked about it in. Well, our I wanted to add bad... a couple of. I wanted to oh, add great. a couple of pictures. Let's hear more. Just... Yeah. Well, the reason that I'm bringing Gaslit up, we talked about going to the premiere and, and please go see the show. But uh, two things you might want to go and both listen to and read are the Slate podcast, Slow Burn, season one. Every season they do a different political scandal. Season one is Martha Mitchell and Watergate, and it's incredible. It's an incredible listen. I just started listening to it uh, because I'm in the show. And um, an amazing book. And I, he was there at the premiere. I talked to him for a while. Uh, historian Rick Perlstein. Uh, has been writing the amazing series of history books about that era. Uh, the one that covers the uh, the Watergate scandal and Martha Mitchell is called The Invisible Bridge. It's about the fall of Nixon and the rise of Reagan. It is incredible. I highly recommend it. It is a massive doorstopper of a book that you won't be able to put down, The Invisible Bridge. If you like Gaslit, uh, then Slow Burn and The Invisible Bridge. And those are my picks. You guys, thank you so much for being such great listeners. We are so sorry for the weird technical horribleness that I think was my fault. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, be around next Tuesday. We'd love you to join us again. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a production of Meredith Salinger and Patton Oswalt. In association with Starburns Audio. Executive producers are Cliff Dorfman and Jason Smith. And if you have questions for us, send them to... Hey, did you get my text? At gmail.com. And don't forget, subscribe to this podcast. It's free and it helps us get to keep making the show. Starburns Audio. A, podca <clears throat> a podcast network.